Thank you so much again, praise team, for leading us today. What a wonderful thing to have the best of the new combined with the best of the old. And I just really appreciate the great songs that you brought together this morning. I understand that Adeline Margaret Dale is with us for the first time this morning. And so I'm looking around to see where... There she is, way, way in the back. Uh, can you stand uh, with that precious little one, uh, Jonathan and Jessica? And there is uh, Adeline Margaret. And let's just give a warm welcome today. Now, uh, Jonathan and um, Jessica, you are going to have to meet Adeline Deering after the service today. She spells her name just a little bit differently, but I'm sure she's excited to see that the good names are coming back. And so you've got to meet her today um, because I know she'd love to see your little baby. So welcome. It's wonderful to see you this morning. Did you know that the early Christians were accused of worshiping a jackass? Have you ever heard that? That was just one of the many ways that they faced mockery, ridicule, and disapproval from non-believers. In fact, in a school, in an ancient imperial palace in Rome... Archaeologists have found a piece of graffiti that dates from the 3rd century. Let me put it up on the screen for you. The graffiti is of a boy with his hand raised, worshiping a figure on the cross. The figure on the cross is the body of a man, but the head of a jackass. Scrawled on the wall next to this figure are the words, Alex Amanos worships his God. Apparently, Alex Amanos, a young man, was a Christian. And this graffiti was his classmate's way of mocking him for his faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know, nearby, in another room in this ancient imperial palace is a second inscription. This one is in Latin, Alexamenos Fidelis. Alexamenos is faithful. Apparently, the persecution and the ridicule of Alexamenos did not stop him. Unashamed, he faithfully followed Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said... Amen. Amen. Increase his tribe. Now we applaud Alexamenos today. Uh, we honor him for such a courageous stand for Christ. But I have a question. What about us? How would we respond if we were mocked and ridiculed like this? Do you know the early Christians expected persecution? In fact, when Peter said, Satan prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, he was very likely talking about real lions. 
And he was talking about the persecution of martyrdom that many of the early Christians faced in the Colosseum as these wild beasts were let loose upon them simply because they claimed the name of Christ. We don't expect persecution like this, do we? But it's not that Jesus didn't tell us that it wasn't going to come. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. And I want you to notice as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 10 and 11 and 12, and listen to what Jesus has to say to us. Matthew 5, verses 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The last beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount is about persecution. And Jesus is telling us there is a price to pay to follow him. There is a cost in following Jesus. Now the question in today's sermon is a very simple question. How do we remain faithful when we are persecuted? That's what we want to see today as we come to the last beatitude. How do we as Christians remain faithful when persecuted? You know what I want to say today? I feel like I ought to be preaching this sermon in Iran that I should be in North Korea today, that I ought to be preaching to the underground church in China today. We know so little persecution in America today, almost feel like this is the wrong place for us to preach this message, but times are changing, aren't they? Times are changing. We need this message. Let's look at the answers Jesus gives to us to how to remain faithful in persecution. Here's the first one. We are to expect persecution for living the Beatitudes. Now it is very easy for us when we read what Jesus says here to say, well, this doesn't apply to us. After all, we look like nice, behaved Christians here this morning. We do not look like the type who make waves. Our Christianity, quite frankly, is very, very tame. But Jesus is laboring here in this eighth beatitude to show us this is a mark of every Christian, not just some. Let me say that again. This is a mark of every Christian, not just some. Look back at the first beatitude in verse 3 and notice the promise that is made. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now go to verse 10, the last beatitude, and notice the same promise. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven is repeated in both the first beatitude and the eighth beatitude. This is what is known as an inclusion that brackets all eight beatitudes. Now, what do we learn from this? Number one, we learn this. Being poor in spirit includes being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Doesn't that make sense? If I have nothing to offer God, nothing by which to merit His favor, and I recognize that I am poor in spirit, then when God allows persecution and suffering to come my way, I have nothing to complain about. And being persecuted for righteousness is a part of being poor in spirit. A second thing this inclusion teaches us is the Beatitudes are a whole. They give the character, the total character of every single Christian. So being persecuted, that's much as part of our character as being pure in heart, or being peacemakers. So if we would read this today and say, the eighth beatitude, I think I'll pass on that one. I said last week to somebody, I wish Jesus had stopped at seven beatitudes. He doesn't give us that option. All eight are His character, And if we truly live the Beatitudes, letting them define our character, we will be persecuted. Now you can't help but ask yourself this question. How in the world can anyone who lives the Beatitudes uh, provoke this kind of dislike? I mean, I've got to say to myself, why would anyone dislike a humble, meek, merciful, peace-loving Christian, right? Why would anyone dislike a neighbor who is like that? Let's look at these Beatitudes a little deeper. To be poor in spirit and mourn over it means we take sin very seriously. And the world doesn't mind that you take sin seriously as long as it doesn't spoil the fun, right? Start spoiling the fun, and all of a sudden the world doesn't like people who are poor in spirit and mourn over that fact. Or be meek. You know what a lot of bullies in our world will do? They will see someone as meek, as being weak, and they love to push around that kind of person and pick on that individual. Or be merciful to the wrong person. Somebody wants to get revenge on and you're being merciful to them and the world will say you are getting in the way. Or, hunger and thirst for righteousness, be pure in heart and you will be informed that high moral purpose is not always practical, right? And then what happens to the peacemakers? They get shot at from both sides, right? I mean, there are some people in a feud who are never satisfied unless you take their side. 
You know what I've learned? Non-Christians who say they love Jesus' ethics, they love those ethics until they cramp their style, right? And then watch out. Watch out. Look at the kind of things that Jesus says we can experience as we live the Beatitudes. In verse 11 he says, Blessed are you when people insult you. Uh, The word there refers to name calling or angry put downs. Uh, One day I'm I'm standing outside Moody Bible Institute in downtown Chicago, uh, just minding my own business with uh, a number of other students. A guy rides by on his bicycle. He sees us and he shouts at us, Jesus freaks! The only time in my life I have ever been called a freak. And the hatred and the hostility in his voice was so vivid, it echoes in my mind. I can still see him turning back and shouting that invective at us. And think about this. All I was doing was standing next to a school sign that had the word Bible in it, minding my own business. And we were insulted as freaks. Jesus says another form of persecution he describes as falsely saying all kinds of evil against you. He's describing their slander, uh, trumping up evil charges against people to get them in trouble. When I was 16 years of age, I came home from camp one day. There was a lady in our church who was staying in our home for a week. She was being mistreated by her husband. She was afraid to go home. So my parents came to her aid and took her in. Do you know that husband wrote a letter to my dad's employee accusing my dad of falsely impersonating a minister? We later discovered that you crossed this man and he will be out to get you. Because my father worked for the government, they had to do an investigation before he could be exonerated. I remember the day when he came home with the letter clearing him of all charges. Sometimes you show mercy to a wife, and that's the kind of treatment you will get from an abusive husband. And then Jesus said, we might be persecuted. The word means to harass someone, especially because of their beliefs. I have a friend who worked in a shop in Indiana. The shop decided to go on strike. Now, not all strikes have been wrong, but he was convinced this strike was wrong. So he knew this means as a Christian, I have to go to work. This means I have to cross the picket line. And one day, as he stepped over the picket line, one of the picketers spit on him. Do you know how nasty it is? 
to be spit on? And this is what he knew. If I retaliate, I will destroy everything that I as a Christian stand for. So he had to just take it and walk into the shop. Listen, hungering and thirsting for righteousness can get you spit on by those who do not like it. I wonder this morning, have we ever experienced any of these for our Christian testimony? Have we ever so lived the Beatitudes that we have provoked this kind of response from the people around us. I love this poem by Amy Carmichael, the great missionary in India. Look at this poem, how it penetrates us today. Listen to what she wrote. No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be. Pierced are the feet that follow me, but yours are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wounds nor scar? All of us here today say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I follow the Savior who was pierced in his hands, pierced in his feet. And Amy Carmichael would come to us and say, where are your scars? Where are your scars? Have you followed him very far if there has never been any opposition to your faith? What a good question that is. You see, persecution tells us, says Jesus, how far we have followed him in really living the Beatitudes. Here's a second answer to this question. Second answer is that we are to expect persecution for only two clear reasons. Only two clear reasons. Let me give them to you this morning. Number one is this. You are living like Jesus and for Jesus. When you are living like Jesus and for Jesus, then you can expect some form of persecution. Now, I want you to notice here, there are three qualifiers to the persecution. Number one, it has to be for righteousness, verse 10. Secondly, it has to be false accusations of wrongdoing, not true ones. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 15, if you suffer... Don't suffer as a murderer, a thief, or some other kind of criminal. Peter said, don't even suffer as a meddler. It has to be false accusations of wrongdoing. And then notice verse 11. It has to be because of me. It must be in God's cause and for Jesus' way of living. I wonder how many of you have noticed in the paper in the last couple of days that the founder of the Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas, died. How many of you noticed that? John Hamill from our church used to live near them in Topeka. You know what he said? He said they're a cult. 
He said they're mostly made up of the guy's family. So here they are giving the rest of us a bad name when their group has nothing to do with the church at all. They're shameful, hateful, obnoxious behavior towards bereaving military families is appalling. And all God's people said, the scorn heaped upon them is deserved and it has nothing to do with the eighth beatitude. Uh, My old professor, Howard Hendricks, he used to say, Jesus said, Persecuted for righteousness' sake, not stupidity's sake. All God's people said, This is not somebody who has a persecution complex, who loves a good fight, wants to stir up trouble. Rather, this is a person living out the Beatitudes finding opposition because of them and therefore refusing to compromise out of loyalty to Christ. When that kind of persecution comes, it is the right kind of persecution. Notice the second reason why we are persecuted. Secondly, Jesus tells us your faith is being tested and affirmed. Did you notice what he said at the end of verse 12? He said, in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, when Jesus cites the prophets here who were persecuted, what he means is that this is the normal lot of God's people. Remember what happened to the great prophets? Elijah, threatened with death, lived in a desert. Daniel, thrown into a lion's den. Isaiah, the great writing prophet, greatest of all the writing prophets, can you believe this, folks? Sawn in two. Read Hebrews chapter 11, read about one man sawn asunder. Church history tells us it was the prophet Isaiah. And then Jeremiah, Dumped in a muddy cistern, he sank down into the mud, into the darkness alone. And John the Baptist, beheaded. This has always been the lot of the most illustrious of God's servants. Now, listen to what Jesus is saying. Since there is only one kingdom, we are in continuity with the prophets when we serve Jesus. Think about what this means. When we speak boldly for the truth, we are like John the Baptist. When we don't do what others want us to do, just to simply get along, we are like Jeremiah. When we suffer rejection for our principles and have to stand alone, we are like Daniel... And when we are not afraid to pray, when others are watching, we are like Daniel. By the way, I I have to drop this in this morning. 
The next time you are with a group of your friends at lunch and none of them pray, and you know if I bow my head with these friends at lunch, I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb. When you bow your head at that lunch and you pray, you are like Daniel. You are like Daniel. Daniel was warned not to pray, or I will throw you into a lion's den. He went up into his room, he threw open the shutters, he faced Jerusalem, and he prayed, and they threw him in the lion's den. When I'm with a group of friends, and I know they don't thank God, I'm going to stick out but I bow my head and I thank God silently for my food. I am like Daniel. You know what John Stott said? John Stott said, persecution is a badge of true discipleship. It is a certificate of authenticity. In fact, tell me if this is true or not. Popularity was a sign of false prophets. Persecution was a sign of true prophets. Is that true? Yes, that is. Popularity was a sign of false prophets. Persecution is a sign of true prophets. When the communists ruled Romania, Pastor Richard Wormbrand was imprisoned for 14 years by the communists and beaten on a regular basis. He founded the Voice of the Martyrs to call attention to persecution of Christians all around the world. During those 14 years of beatings, they smashed four of his vertebrae and they cut or burned 18 holes in his body. When the communists were finally overthrown in Romania, and he was now free to preach, when he would go to preach, people would want to see the holes in his body as much as they would listen to his sermons. Here's what Pastor Wormbrand said. A faith that can be destroyed by suffering is not faith. Don't we know that's instinctively true? Don't we say, yes, that is right? If suffering or opposition or persecution destroys our faith, then it is not faith at all. Anyone can cave and fold when the heat is turned up, but faith lives the Beatitudes even under pressure because if there were no pressure, there would be no need for faith. Is that not right this morning? Yes, it is. And so persecution is a badge of true discipleship. 
It is a certificate of authenticity. Let me give you the last answer to this question. How do we remain faithful in persecution? Here's the last answer. Expect persecution to be eternally worth it. Look again at what Jesus said in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. Verse 10. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you know what this means? Rejoice and be glad. It means we do not whine, complain, or blame God for our lot in life. I have to be very honest with you this morning. I was not expecting God to convict me on this point. There have been many times in my life and ministry for the Lord that I've absorbed persecution and I've gone home and sulked and I've gone home and been in a pity party. I remember one time very vividly in my office saying to God, is this a cruel joke that you have brought me into the ministry? And now I come here and Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice is an attitude. Be glad is an emotion. This is a double positive response. The only double positive response in the Beatitudes. The most difficult one being insulted, being falsely accused, being harassed. And now Jesus says, you don't whine, you don't complain, you don't blame God. You have a double positive response. You rejoice and you are glad. I've had to say, oh God, forgive me. Forgive me. Somebody might say, is this even possible? Did you listen to Pastor Werbrand's testimony while he was in prison? Listen to what he said. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching, they were happy beating us, so everyone was happy. How can this be? Here's how I put it together. When you know you are doing right according to God's word, and the devil is attacking you for it, and you know God approves your pain, there is an incredible joy that you can experience the world knows nothing about. I love this statement I read this past week. Joy is the byproduct of obedience. That is exactly true. And even when you are suffering for obeying, there is a joy that Jesus Christ gives. Pastor Herbert Vanderlocht in The Daily Bread talked about Pastor Wormbrand's story. And listen to what he testified. Listen to these words. 
Alone in my cell, cold, hungry, and in rags, I danced for joy every night. During this time, he turned to a fellow prisoner, a man he had led to the Lord before they were arrested, and he asked him, Have you any resentment against me that I brought you to Christ and that now has led you to this prison? His friend responded, I have no words to express my thankfulness that you brought me to the wonderful Savior. I would never have it any other way. Commenting upon this in the Daily Bread, Pastor Vanderlock, who is now in heaven, said this, Salvation which brings strength for today and hope for tomorrow lasts forever. Therefore, we don't have to be defeated by troublesome circumstances. When we know we are saved, we have the assurance that God is at work in our lives, preparing us for the eternal realities of the better world. Yes, salvation is life's greatest blessing. And all God's people said, Absolutely. Knowing the eternal reward that yet awaits us. Knowing the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Great is your reward in heaven. That inspires us to one day hear these words, Alexamenos Fidelis, Alexander was faithful. Alexander is faithful. And every one of us called to live the Beatitudes before the Lord Jesus, knowing what it will bring in a world going in the opposite direction, knows this is my motivation. Someday standing before him, all the glory and reward of heaven, and having Jesus say, You were faithful. You were faithful. You were faithful. That's how you endure persecution. I wonder this morning if you would bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And I want to speak to two groups for just a moment. Do you complain and whine and have self-pity about your lot in life in life? Don't you feel ashamed if that's you? This past week, as I saw what Jesus was teaching, I felt shame. Shame for the many times that I have whined, grumbled, resented my lot in life. And I wonder if that's you. If I could bring you into my office for a few moments and you could talk, what would come out of your mouth? 
And if it is grumbling, complaining, and blaming, are you not ashamed of yourself today? Jesus calls us to rejoice and be glad. And that doesn't mean that the circumstance itself is happy. But we have Jesus. We have salvation. The best is yet to come. God is not finished with us. He is working. And we can rest in a good and gracious Savior. And if you are a long-faced, complaining, griping Christian, I call you today to repent. I call you today to look in the face of your Savior, whose hands are pierced, whose feet are, whose feet are pierced, whose side still has the mark of the spear. And you rejoice and be glad that he has taken you in. For those of you that do not know the Savior, this is probably not the easiest message to say, come to Jesus. But Jesus calls you to himself. Will it be an easy road? The answer is no. It's getting harder and harder all the time. But he will save you, he will forgive you, he will make you a child of God, he will give you eternal life, he will give you an inheritance in heaven, and he will walk beside you every step of the way. Uh, a lady this morning in the early service said, before when I faced the trials of my life, I did it alone. She said, now that I face the trials of my life, I have Jesus with me. And who would trade that? And so I want to invite you to come to the Savior today. Tell Him that you know you are poor in spirit. You have nothing to offer God. Tell Him right now in your heart that you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. Ask Him to come into your heart and be your Savior, into your life and be your Lord. Ask Him to forgive all of your sins give you eternal life to make you a child of God. Tell him that you're repenting, you're turning from your own way, and you're turning to Jesus. And say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Father, I pray today that you would hear our prayers. I pray that you would save souls for Jesus' sake. And I pray that you would encourage believers. Father, I ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us for the times when we failed to stand up for you, and we should have. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we retaliated and we caused trouble and it was all about us and it had nothing to do with your kingdom and your cause. Forgive us for the times in which we sat home and sulked 
over our lot in life. Lord, forgive us for those times when no one else prayed and we were so embarrassed that we didn't bow our heads and close our eyes and silently thank the God that no one else seems to care to acknowledge. Father, forgive us those times when we've had a chance to witness. Somebody said, why are you a Christian? Or, or, or what does it mean for you to be a Christian? And we passed. And we did not speak a word for the Savior. Forgive us, Lord, for those times when we drew back. The attitudes called us further. But we stopped short because we knew what would come. We thank you, Lord, that you know all about us. We thank you that you have seen our many weaknesses and inconsistencies. And you love us anyway. And you beckon us to courage, to boldness, to living for you. We claim your forgiveness. We ask that you will strengthen us with joy and gladness. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.